You just heard He Comes and Death Knows Where from In Solitude's Sister from 2013. This is the Recommendal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And uh, we got to fill our Swedish quotient. quotient. Yeah, sorry, I can't talk. It's apparently. been a while since we've done a that I don't remember. Yeah, Dark Tranquility. Day but, yeah, so uh, but we did the whole was... Thrash series and all these other things, so it's been a while for us. In a normal year, the, yeah, we've done more in a normal year than in the last yeah. several. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With the weekly stuff. And, and we kind of wanted to come back and do something that was um, kind of timeless and fun and, and less research-oriented after uh, Neurosis. <laughs> well, we, we talked about this a long time ago, too, Yeah, I think. I think every we, couple months of, we always are bringing up in solitude. You know, they're near and dear. The way the tribulation. Did we talk about them ways. on a Patreon episode or something? We may have. I know just a little bit. But when we had Joe Schaefer on for the tribulation show, we got into a side conversation with maybe him. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Because um, he was like, you know, really, if we're talking about tribulation, we need to kind of go back and and like we were all in agreement. We're like, yeah, you know, like yeah. like in solitude, they'll like set started, the path think, in yeah. a way or something. Well, because this is like uh, you know, devil's blood. That whole like the occult wave of of new like kind of seventies inspired rock. There's a lot of that. Kind Some of like retro right occult rock. Yeah, yeah, it was like kind of a yeah, because you know, Ghost draws from like the the Blue Oyster Cult pool a little bit more. These guys yeah. obviously draw from Fate and Maiden in the early period. You yeah. know, and then not like a ten years after. Yeah, basically. exactly. But That's I think band. like you know, you hear it in like those opening two songs and. um what a really interesting way to to open a record first off and to open a show because he comes is so it's just there's there's so much like kind of weird foreboding you know kind of provocation with it the acoustic stuff to me it like it, it's interesting because um you know for people that are you know caught up we 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 talked an awful lot in the neurosis episode especially in the first couple parts about like the influence a band like the swans had and um, I read quite a few interviews with Pele, and we'll, we'll get into the, the band members here in a moment. But Pele, the vocalist, and he just kind of said, like, that was the one of the main bands, like, he was sort of thinking of when he was sort of, you know, putting together kind of some of the concepts for the Sister record, which is proven to be their their final statement as a band. And we'll, we'll get more into Sister later on in the show, um, which, you know, kind of a sad thing. I was telling Mark, it kind of bums me out, maybe more than almost any other band. Um, I mean, they went out on top, but like they also yeah. went out when they were just you know this is so different, and it was be interesting to see where they evolved from here. Yeah, you know, do do they refine this? Do they go like do they double down? Do they do more things like he comes like this acoustic sort of stuff? You know, that's I, really dark. And after yeah, with interviews and just listen to stuff quite a bit. I've done. I mean, since uh, the Neurosis episode. I've been digesting anything we're doing for shows. I I listen to way more than I previously would. Yeah. So it's given me time to just like live with it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I I almost think that they would have broke up anyways. Really? I th- I don't know if they would have done another record, or if they would have, it might have been something that was just like completely oddball. Because if you see where at least some of the people go, it's it's a pretty different track. Yeah. Um, do you, do, is that from like interviews you've sort of seen no, in terms just, of how the band was a, like interact? It's just a gut feeling. Yeah. I think they kind of like cuz they started when they're real really young like what 14, 15 years old. Yeah, we're we'll talk about that with the the demos here in a moment, but yeah. But I think like you, some relationships only have a set amount of time. Yeah, that's true. Um this is just me speculating, but um it's just kind of like a gut feeling like after the cuz this sister's such a 
I mean, where do you go after that too? Like I could see where it might yeah. go, but I think if that was like, you know, with how quickly they kind of, you know, their, their styles change and how much that quickly they evolve. Um, they either would have done as much as I love tribulation. They kind of hit a point with children of the night. And that's kind of just like refine, 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 yeah. just catatony did the same thing. Yeah. After, um, what is it like Viva emptiness after that's kind of like same refine, refine, refine. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd almost rather not have something else than having refined, refined, refined. If that would have been the, yeah, I guess it's weird because I, I, you know, I think of it. You know, you mentioned Catatonia, and I think of like something like his sister, kind of a, you know, almost like a Brave Murder Day, like a singular thing, and then they could like they got it out of their system, and they could then kind of reinvent themselves and do this next phase. You know, I think Sister's kind of like Last Fear Deal. Okay, so it's like the peak of like the peak. Yeah, in a certain sense, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. I could see it more. Because Lester Deal shaped everything that Catatonia did going forward. Yeah. And they're building towards it, but like it caught everybody, like caught us off guard. And yeah. we, we were there at the right time too, yeah. emotionally and age wise. And yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to see like, you know, the syndrome of, um, you know, I think of like Radiohead with OK Computer. They, they didn't try and do OK Computer anymore because they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was like, so they did something completely fucking bizarre, like Kid Rock or Kid A, Kid Rock. Jesus Christ! <laughs> now yeah. that would have been yeah, yeah. that would have been something. Yeah, uh, you could tell I've been living in Romeo for too long. So, but then with like what was it, Amnesiac? Is that the? It was a companion piece. They kind of recorded them at the same time. What was after Amnesiac in Rainbows? Yep, that might have been the last interesting one. I don't like. Yeah. Like before, it just kind of like okay, refine, refine, refine. They're, yeah, I don't go to those ones after as much. You know, in yeah. Rainbows is probably the last one I like truly kind of fell in love with. But yeah, it is it is weird? You know, like the age of these guys and and sort of what they are able to do. One thing that's kind of interesting about He Comes is um, Pele talked about how he was really into like blues stuff quite a bit. I don't know if you came across any of that, but like he's a Most- really big fan of like Charlie Patton and like really old yeah. Skip James. And, and I think like he wanted to sort of capture that ethereal sort of energy with like an acoustic tune. Like he comes, I'm not saying it's a blues song, but there's like that, you know, when you listen to like old blues recordings from the thirties and there's like this, the ethereal kind of well, this, oddity it's, it's of it's it, like, uh, you know, you know, devil got my woman. Uh, yeah. From ghost world, like singing in a can kind of sound like it's yeah. got the old sun records kind of, weird like a weird you know it's like a 78 or something like that swedish kids in their 20s trying to reimagine what that sounds like and i think they did a pretty incredible job it doesn't really emulate that but i understand no but i think it was like it was in the dna of like what he was sort of thinking about it's like like with danzig lucifuge how that's like very blues infused but it doesn't sound like a you know an old blues record per se well, I think the other interesting thing, and I, I want to make sure we talk about these two songs before we get into it, because we have a tendency to like play the intro song and then kind of like, <laughs> and these are two really interesting songs, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, what a way to kick off a record. I mean, you know, like there's this, just the way he like sings things too, you know, like treading water, he comes. And it's like, what the fuck is he comes? You know, like, yeah. And and then, you know, he's very esoteric, and we'll talk more about this later, about, like, what sister is, you know? Okay, yeah, I've got a quote about that. Yeah, and stuff. And so, you know, so there's just this, like, kind of weird un, un, uneasiness to it, and I, I like it. And I think the first couple of times I heard, like, He Comes, I kind of just heard it as, like, an intro. I didn't pay as much attention to it as I should have. 
And it was more when like death knows where, you know, when that like kicks in. Yeah. And the way that those two songs are connected is fucking awesome. Like that, like yeah. it hits that, whatever it is. And then it just, you know, it's like they need to be married together almost. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's it's like kind of this this sort of perfect thing. But one thing I was sort of picking up on the chord progression of He Comes, and I, I was curious if you grabbed this. I heard like stuff like almost like um, I said it's like Mellow Candle meets like early like Anathema or like Celtic Frost type stuff. When Celtic Frost or Anathema would do like those um, uh, stuff off like Crestfallen EP where it was like real kind of Celtic-y sort of Irish kind of but like dark moody folk. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like I kind of get some of the vibes out of that in turn more than the blues almost, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Mellow Candle is like a band that like we haven't talked a lot about in a long time, but that was something that like Opeth and Cathedral and like a lot of people used to talk about back in the '90s as being kind of like a an oddity that people like metal. Yeah, because like that, that deep, was one of those uh, metalheads were into. You know, uh, what really shaped a lot of my like outside metal stuff was like, oh, Lee Dorian talks about uh, swaddling songs by Mellow yeah. Candle, and somehow I found it. I ordered it import on record, and I got it, and yeah, Jesus. Well, that Chris had it, and then he turned me on to it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm turning all like the girls I'm dating onto it. So like, there's this whole network of people that came out of Mount Pleasant that know who fucking metal, Mellow Candle is. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. like a, it's a cool thing. I don't know. But it's, it's a weird thing because you listen to it and they're like, okay, like if you're really entrenched in Cathedral, you can you can hear it. But for somebody that doesn't doesn't hear that, so they're like, why the fuck are you listening to this? This sounds like a weird folk yeah, record. They're like, that, yeah. yeah, it does. But yeah, like, but if you if you knew like where we're coming from, sure. It like I don't know. It like it branched open a lot of different things that I wouldn't normally have. But I think it made to. I think it made like the the acoustic parts in like a morning rise or orchid kind of make almost more sense too. Yeah, you know what I mean. But then we you know we started getting like camel records and shit yeah. too because they were fuck at the time they're like a quarter. Speaking of camel, there's a riff coming like later in the show. It's on sister. I can't remember which song it is. That it was like totally like a like it, oh it's the one that starts with the boom. It's like a. Like almost a keyboard kind of moog type intro. We'll 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 get yeah, to yeah, it when yeah. we and that very much reminded me of like snow snow goose or something like that from, from Camel. Yeah, there's a lot of that kind of seventies the the problem with the term prog rock is usually people just think of well in the United States, in my or our neck of the woods growing up, it was like yes. Or rush or something like that. Yeah. Rush was like on the good side of it, but like prog I always thought prog was just like this awful, impenetrable shit. Got it. When I was younger, but then you hear, you know, Camel and Mellow Candle and, yeah. you know, some of this other, like, weirder shit, like Steam Hammer, like, oh, this stuff's like... I don't think great. I had as much... I don't know. Maybe I didn't have as much hang-up on it amongst my group of friends, because yeah. I think right when... There's more people that I knew that listened to that stuff, and I hated them. Got it. See, I didn't go to high school with, like, the Rush nerds. Like, I didn't know them. I knew no, that they I was they a Rush existed. nerd, but there's, like, the okay. Yes guys, like, the, the guys that were... That have become a cliche of the... 30 plus year old guy living in his parents' basement that we go over and play Warhammer 40K with. Oh, got it. They so had that's, an opinion that's, on everything. That's and, where you. Yeah, okay. he was just a hateful, awful person. Got it. Okay. Because <laughs> for me, I think, you know, we were in a rush. You know, I think we got moving pictures on cassette tape because we kept seeing those um, ads for uh, like hits of the 70s and 80s. And they yeah. always played a clip from Tom Sawyer. Mm-hmm. And we were just like obsessed with that song before it became kind of funny to We'd be always played with the. It. On the jukebox at the pizza place. Oh, okay. At Pisanello's? Yep. Yeah, nice. And we play some of that uh, hockey. Yeah. The USA versus USSR hockey game. Yep. Yep. 
But for me, the first like prog shit I really got into is before I worked at the record store, Mike, um, Mike Johnson, who's been on a lot of our shows, our old manager, he recommended, he's like, have you heard Court of the Crimson King from King Crimson? That was like my first prog thing. So I never really got into like the, the so-called lame stuff as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I never really got into Emerson, Lake and Palmer and stuff. Cause I, Mike kind of steered me clear. He's like, okay, there's good stuff. And then there's like this other stuff that's. It's like good musicianship, but it's kind of cold and doesn't have a like, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. I I don't mean to offend our Emerson, Emerson Lake and Palmer fans out I, there. I can appreciate some of that yeah. stuff, but it's it it's doesn't, fine. It doesn't make me feel anything. Yeah, it's not it's not like King Crimson. King Crimson's yeah. like a different. That's like a level up or yeah. something, you know. But I think like you you get that, and he comes. You know, you you Pele the vocalist is also kind of doing this like weird early kind of Cure Robert Smith kind of stuff on that. He's very whispery and um, gothy kind of, but not gothy in like a negative connotation. You know, goth is such like a a, a loaded term. Maybe post punk like early goth, Joy Division, early Cure kind of stuff. Yeah, I would say um, yeah, like uh, even like you know new wave kind of yeah. Which I, I think there's a lot of crossover. There's yeah, like a, a big Venn diagram with like post punk, goth, and new wave. It's like all yeah, kind of blunt, and, bunched and together. Plus, those those terms aren't necessarily used by bands; they're used by journalists. Yep. And a lot of times they don't fit certain bands. Sure. Like it's like lumping Melvins and Pearl Jam into grunge. Like they're kind yeah. of opposite ends of the Seattle thing. They have you like know? yeah, similar kind of you know ideas sometimes, but then there's like you know like like Christian Death and. Um, doesn't sound much of anything like New Order. Yeah. But no. they're still on the same kind of like continuum. Yep. Yep. For sure. And then the other thing before we move on to, uh, to Death Knows Where and then kind of get into the backstory, I, I wanted to mention it because I heard it in another song on Sister 2. But like in the background, along with like the acoustic guitar, there's this eerie, kind of repetitive. This is the first time I started picking up on that kind of Bernard Herman syncopated piano, but he's not playing it very hard. It's just this ding. Ding, it's like ding. texture yeah it's just weird it's almost like shallow cuts yeah you know the way that like bernard herman who scored alfred hitchcock psycho and, and vertigo and a lot of other things you know the way he did like the the stinging kind of violins and stuff like really cuts into you in psycho and this is like he's doing that same pattern but it's like that plink 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 yeah and it, but it's he's not like slamming the piano either it's very subtle and very like Again, unsettling in a in a strange way. The whole record sounds on. It sounds like a fucking. You're hearing it like a ghost play music back. Yes, this shimmering kind of uh, borderline going out of tune. Yes, um, like a fucking haunted piano. Sometimes you know it's and that's and that's I think <clears throat> where maybe I was talking about before and maybe you know um, Pele alludes to this as an inspiration. You know, talking about old blues mm-hmm. where like it was out of tune. Yeah. Where like things were rough and the analog recordings and like it's the feeling it's not the, yeah. the way it's played. Yeah. Like there's this whole theory that, you know, Robert Johnson's vocals were like pitched a little bit to like make him sound like more ethereal and ghost like, you know, yeah. like, he almost sings like he's on the razor's edge at all times or something. And again, they're not doing blues. I'm not saying that, but I think there's aesthetics, whatever that, that aesthetic share. is, yeah. it's, it's sort of there, you know, well, but, the, uh, the I don't have the producer's name handy, but I did look into him a little bit and, uh, one of the interviews and this he was basically did more of um like acoustic recordings and soundtracky kind of stuff oh, okay so this sister was like that's why it's there's not another record that sounds like it there's i mean it's there's definitely some like some joy division stuff going on there as well 
but yep. it's hard to nail down exactly what they did to make it because it sounds off-putting at the first time you hear it you're like is this even is there something wrong with the recording yes um because well you, even the way it, he comes like we talked about bleeds into death it almost yeah. sounds like they fuck something up yeah like you know but like the the previous record the world that was done by fred espy sounds warm and like so 70s smooth. and it's it like yeah. full spectral range and this it's is anthemic like, it's it's ever it's like cliche like metal compression yeah echo reverb um i don't know how exactly they did it but it's the more you listen to it the more it, it acts like such a, a mood setting device i can't imagine hearing it recorded a different or like mm-hmm. produced in a different way I'm going to make a connection. I think you'll probably agree with me, but I think it 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 hits me the way Brave Murder Day hits me because Brave Murder Day was produced wrong and wasn't finished and mastered. And you hear a lot of things in Brave Murder Day that you don't hear in other records, like things I don't think you probably should have heard, but I don't mind. Yeah. I don't know what that is, whatever that aesthetic is, that imperfect perfection or something like it's. There, you're, you're, there's these weird echoes and just different things all throughout Sister. And it reminds me of some of the ways I hear things in like Brave Murder Day. Yeah. Whereas Brave like, Murder Day was even more uh, reinforced that weirdness because of the playing the note like uh, like a minor key. I don't even know what, exactly what the, the chord is, but it's played like 30 times. Yeah. It's like, neuro- <laughs> it's like the neurosis of like tremola or something or minor key you know it's like this weird like for fucking ever yeah like i was just cooking last night to bray murder day in my kitchen just (laughs) fucking like just blasting yeah um dan sueno on drums too isn't it yeah uh no that was that was jonas that was jonas oh that's yeah that's right yeah because the i trying to do the double bass on end time on end time is almost impossible because it's out of time yeah and that's what i'm saying it's like that whole record's like out it's like off. Dan recorded it though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then they didn't finish. Like they, they didn't. He did tonight's decisions drums. He did. Yes. That's right. Okay. But I think that it was like the finishing, um, mastering or whatever on, on it didn't get done. I remember in the decibel interview, the hall of fame, they talk about it and like Swanos like still pissed cause it doesn't sound right to him. I don't think it was ever mastered for vinyl either. Yeah. So, it was, so there's it like a lot of on, things. Uh, because like if you hear the sounds of decay, that's what Brave Murder Day was supposed to sound like if yeah. Swano had finished it. But I think they sent it to be like processed. Before. What was that label that put that out? Avant Garde. Avant Garde. Yeah. So, so they basically they probably tried to skip, up. save money, yeah. and not master it. And it's that's why I love that record almost yeah. more because it's so unusual. And I think yeah. Sister falls into that. So if you haven't figured it out, I'm pretty sure that this whole episode is just a contextualization to get us to sister. <laughs> like the other stuff's great, but yeah, I think we're, yeah. we're really like contextualizing like at the backstory. So we can just talk mostly about sister at the end or well, whatever. Because the it's, it's the more nuanced record too. Yeah. There's so much because interesting like the, shit. the world is so great, but it's immediate. Yep. Anybody can get into it. Yeah. Um, this record is off putting at first. So you're like, okay, this is the, Ultimately, the one that you can like dive into deeper, I yeah. think. And Mark, I fully admit it that I've been wrong for years. That's a hard thing for anybody in this day and age to say. So yeah. I, I applaud I, you, sir. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I've always, I've always stuck to my guns that I, I, you know, the world, the flesh, the devil was was my in solitude record. I, you know, I spent the mo- so much time with it, and we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. But I. And getting prepped for the show, and I, I had this sneaking suspicion this was going to happen. It was just a matter of like commitment. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like when you know, like you're like, oh God, I don't know if I want to sit down and watch this like three and a half hour Tarkovsky movie, and then you get through it, and you're like, God damn it, I'm so glad I committed to like Stalker or something. Like you always, it's always good afterwards, yeah. but it's just like that resistance to yeah to start. And it wasn't because I don't like Sister. I don't want people fucking sending us like angry letters or something. I've always loved this record, but it wasn't as high up for me as the world because yeah. it was impenetrable at first. And I, I, you know, and I think right when sister came out, it wasn't too much before like children in the night from tribulation. I, I think I globbed onto that more. And so that, f- I don't Stuff know. Easier, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. like something like, it was just like, it hit me at the wrong time maybe when it came out and that, and that happens with records where, well, and also they broke up right after that. So it was like, there the, wasn't the that steam sort of ran out. Like, yeah. ah, I don't need to invest in these guys. You didn't you know? hear about it. Like you put it on the shelf and like, yeah. you know, it was, it was just, just a weird thing. So I've come around sister is now for me, it, it's, uh, it's their it's, it's their it's crowning it's achievement. At. It's yeah. it's so far beyond anything else they did, you know, and and it's so clear now. But it's it's kind of artsy, and so like mm-hmm. sometimes artsy stuff, you, you know, takes a while to sort of unpack that. But um, you know, I I guess with Death Knows Where before we kind of move into like getting into the whole backstory, um, I you know, there's a lot of I, this is the one actually I hear some Merciful Fate stuff, which is odd because they that's what you know obviously is so much a part of their early records yeah i hear a little bit of merciful fate but mixed a little bit more with some of like the opeth sensibilities i hear some like opeth stuff in this um more old old stuff i guess you know like morning rise orchid kind of era opeth kind of yeah decision makings maybe not the like the prog tendencies but some of like just the tone of the riffs and and maybe it's just because they're swedish and like there's this dna that the melody and they, they all sort stuff. of yeah, yeah. Um, we were actually kind of locked into that because I was telling him, um, Mark, that I heard in a podcast uh, recently, they were talking about the guy, um, Max something rather, I can look his name up, but he's the guy that's like produced um, like Taylor Swift records and um, Britney Spears, Baby One More Time. Like he's this like Swedish go-to guy that they call in to make like, you know, great pop songs. But I, I heard him like in an interview and he was talking about this like, oh, Max Martin, that's the guy's name. But um, he, he's talking about this weird and I didn't write the term down, so I apologize. It's this weird Swedish term that like explains how like Swedish music has this natural tendency to sort of like have these like innate melodies of, of some sort. And so I kind of Googled it to try and find the term and I came across an article from The Atlantic from 2013, the same year as Sister. Wow, perfect. And it's just called, Why is Sweden so good at pop music? And I'm not <laughs> I'm not really quoting from it or whatever, but uh, it was a really interesting article. I was kind of just sort of looking at it. There is this one kind of fun quote from one of the dudes from uh, Ace of Bass. And he said, for Sweden, melody is number one and has always been. While the Americans, it's the lyrics first, production second, and melody last. I'm not saying the lyrics are not important, for, but for us Swedes, for whom English is our second language, we just try to make it understood by a world audience. Because of this focus on lyrics, some of the American songs are complicated and can sometimes be not much fun. While for us, we always try to reach as many people as we can so we have feel-good melodies and simple lyrics so everybody can have fun. And hey... Sister's all about having fun, right? That's absolutely. Solitude's absolutely. all about, maybe on their early stuff, but yeah, they're definitely uh, abandoning that. Um, you know, I said that one thing that you really pick up on. I mean, it's not going to be the first time we mention this, but I think I hear it in Death Knows Where. As I said, there's obviously some echoes of Ghost, but I said sure. without the winking humor. 
It's like a more serious. If Ghost was like more serious without some of the campiness, I think it's more. Um, you know, I think it's just a tonal thing. I don't think there's uh, thematically. I don't think yeah, there's a whole no. lot there. But as far as like the uh, like no progressions and the same, they, they have they're kind of pulling out of the same DNA. Well, sure, um, but I wouldn't really call them contemporary. No. I mean, call them they're contemporaries, but they're not peers doing the same thing. Sure, they're they, more- they have different. They have. Ghost has never been about self-expression. No, not at all. <laughs> Zero. That's what I'm saying. The, it's the, theatricality. It's, it's very and, winking. It's over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, the, and and at the end of the day, in solitude is completely about self-expression. Yep. And how can you not love the chorus? You know, all to nothing we yearn. You know, what a great, like, kind of anthemic kind of thing going on. So, so yeah, that's a one-two punch that sort of kicks off Sister and kind of kicks off this episode. And, you know, it's weird to talk about a band that we'll never really be talking about again in a strange sort of way. You know, I, I like, can never see that they, they'll ever do a reunion or it just yeah. doesn't seem like it's in the, and it makes a lot of this made more sense. That's why that kind of idea that I thought they'd never, that if they would have not broken up and they, or if they would have broke up, they probably might have not done another record anyways. Their ages, they were so young that I can't imagine doing something like the stuff I was into when I was 14. I was, you know, I, I loved death metal at that point, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, I wasn't like in a band making it, you know, like I was doing a zine and shit like that, but I didn't keep doing the zine forever and ever. And it, it, it morphed so quickly that I can't imagine doing, going back to something that was so, uh, that you create when you're that young yep. and not wanting to like get away from that because it's so like, it's immature. You want to, you want to like, if you're that good at that age, Imagine how good you can be at, you know, 21, 22. Sure. And you want to keep pushing it. You want to just be locked into this same thing. Yep. It's like dating your high school sweetheart and getting married and never knowing another, <laughs> the warm embrace of another person, you know? Well, it's really funny because I, I, while you were talking, I was looking up, um, I was, you know, talking to Joe Schaefer a bit because I know he's interviewed these guys before and, and, and stuff. And he was a big fan when he was on the Tribulation show. And I just, you know, we were kind of just chatting a little bit last night. And he just said it's um, you know he's a big fan of Henrik the 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 guitar player that shows up on the world the flesh and the devil who's probably done the most stuff post in solitude Scott you know? Carlson was telling me to check, to check out his solo stuff a couple of years ago it's, yeah it's good it's good I yeah. just actually ordered the the CD and we'll we'll talk more about it later but he's got like three or four albums yeah, I think it's the new one that came out like last year or whatever but is he um, doing the vocals on this shit too I think uh I don't want to say I'll have to look that up okay. before we get to do- get to talking but uh. He just said, it's funny how steadfastly all of them have refused to just make in solitude part two. <laughs> like none of them have, you know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. they're all like really, and they says they're so all willfully weird. Um, and he says, but at the same time, he says, I'm totally sure if there was gas left in the tank, uh, that a reunion would be very fruitful. But, but again, it's this question like you bring up, like, was there any gas left in the tank? Or like you said, had they reached the apex of what they wanted to do, said what they had to say, and then moved on with their lives, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's been quite a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're at eight years now, and there's no indication. And even like Pele hasn't really like done much, you know, he's been on He's He's things, listed but, as having some active bands on uh, Metal Archives, but, but, but none of But I don't think it's... It's you know it's probably like that you start this young you're touring that young, and if it's not because that was one of the things that I I heard that um, like they it just wasn't working out they weren't getting the attention it wasn't worth the risk uh, yeah. or how much they're putting into so like you know people want to like uh, 
go back to school, have start a family. Like, yeah, you've only got so long on the planet. Why, you know, it was kind of, it seems like a kind of a smart idea to end it that. Yeah. At that point. Well, there's this great quote and uh, one of the things that was really helpful. So I'll, you know, throw some honor towards, uh, you know, Jay Bennett did a cover story for in solitude and it was, it was neat going back and, and rereading that now, you know, as I'm kind of putting some thoughts together, but, Pele had this great quote when he, he says, when I was 16, in solitude was a creative expression, this thing we had been wanting to do. It has become who I am and who we are. It's almost like we don't feel like a band most of the time. It's something else. It's really changed our lives. It has become more of a tool that I use in my life rather than this band I am playing in. It's something I use to understand and to express what I've understood. I think it is that to all of us in a way. It's really, uh, it's not really a band we're playing anymore. It's very different now. And so yeah. that was like. It kind of sounds like what uh, what Steve was saying about neurosis. Yeah, it, it's kind of <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's like they, they needed it. And it seems like they worked out whatever they needed to work out on Sister. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there's almost like some like weird black juju too. You get this like sort of feeling that like they kind of captured lightning in a bottle there. You yeah. Know, and, in that interview, they talk about going to like this cabin, the grandpa's cabin, and isolating themselves. That's where I know they wrote "He Comes" and um, the final track on the album, which we'll play later in the show. The, they said uh, most of the writing was done. Well, Ingrid Negrito. I don't know. I, I didn't reread the interview because yeah. all my shits in boxes. But they were one of the. Uh, I think it was for the world. Um, they're talking about the, that was the interview cycle, at least. Yeah, and they were talking uh, some YouTube thing I was watching, but um, they said even if. Like uh, anytime they're writing, everybody's in the same room. Mm. Even if they're not doing something, they're always there. Yep. So there's like, uh, that's a probably a pretty intense writing kind of situation. Well, <laughs> I don't know how long we'll I'll share last. some stories when we get to Sister because they do address that in the interview. And I thought it was really odd. And I think it gives Sister maybe some of the odd qualities. But I'll, I'll wait because we're okay. obviously don't want to talk only about Sister right now. We need sure. to kind of get there. But, uh, so let's talk about the band, I guess. So we've got um, originally, not on Sister, but in the original lineup, you have the two brothers. You have uh, Pele and Gottfried. Uh, Aman, I believe, is the, the last name. Feasting man. the Beast, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you got Pele on vocals, and Gottfried was uh, on bass. And the drummer, who um, I think he's there for the whole time. Yeah, Uno uh, Brunison. And he actually goes on and plays with Grave Pleasures at one point, which is okay. kind of interesting, yeah. you know. Um, was he an enforcer or something as well? Maybe mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the dude, the new guitar player for Tribulations from Enforcer. But yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I I have to go on Metal Archives and look. And then uh, the guitar player who I believe was the rhythm guitar player the whole time, uh, Nicholas Lindstrom, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, also the name of a famous Detroit Red Wings player. <laughs> so I think it's a very common name uh, in Sweden. And then the guitar player on their first run uh, from their demo days up through their debut record is a guy named Matthias Gustafsson. And then Henrik Palm, the guy we were just talking about, he'll join uh, right before The World, The Flesh, and The Devil. And so um, so that was the band in the beginning. And they hail from, uh, would you say Uppsala? Uppsala. I, I, Uppsala? I mean, that's yeah, the, we'll the Americanized version. And, yeah. and Mark and I both have some stats about Uppsala, some really interesting <laughs> kind of factoids. Oh, yeah. The, it's 44 kilometers, I believe, or miles, I'm not sure, yep. uh, north of uh, Stockholm. Yep. Uh, it has the largest cathedral in uh, in uh, Sweden. Sweden, yeah. 
which uh, I believe that the cathedral is near the Temple of Uppsala, which was a place where the living humans were sacrificed to Norse pagan gods at the vernal equinox back oof. in the day. The university is where the Celsius scale was created. And where Ingmar Bergman, one of my favorite directors, <laughs> and I think Mark's a fan as well, yeah, attended university. Nice. Yeah. And it's also home to another kind of infamous band that we've we've talked quite a bit about. Watain. Yeah, Watain. Yeah. So... You know, most of these guys, they basically said they kind of grew up, like, all knowing each other. I think basically the core four guys, not the guitar player that, that ends up leaving, but... Um, are, they, are Watain a couple years older? Yeah, I think Watain's a little bit older. Because they were playing with Dissection after, you know, yeah. uh, after, he got out of, after John got out of prison and yep. shit, too. Yep. Um, At least Eric and, uh, fuck, one of the other guys. Cy? Cy and Watain? Cy was on that Dissection. Or was Cy and... Uh, Nocturnal uh, uh, set set Titan or yeah set whatever yeah, that was set Psy. I'm like trying to yeah I'm trying to yeah uh, it's been a while since I've talked about dissection I know I know I have been listening to Storm a lot lately though have you yeah, yeah. Um, it's always a good one exercise to it oh that's a good yeah, yeah. I need to I think I would I think I would listen to more of my older metal if I I I think during quarantine is when I listen to like the most music i've listened to in like the last few years because i would go on those 35 mile bike rides yeah and i would just put headphones in and just like ride for two and a half hours because i didn't want to ride a podcast you know what i mean i want no, like you need yeah yeah i wanted yeah. that and so some now that i'm not you know, i need the weather to get better so i can get back out on my bike and listen to some more metal and shit <laughs> but uh um yeah so i think you know, growing up in that community was kind of interesting i think they all went to like elementary and middle school together i mean when we we talk about how young they are. What we're about to hear in this this next set is uh, some of the demo stuff. Um, their first demos were 2005. It was a self-titled demo and then Anguish of Regret. Um, and I was just playing Mark uh, a song from uh, the opening song from Anguish of Regret. And I mean, it's, you know, I think it was a shatterproof mind. It, you know, it sounds like mid-period kind of in flames, I guess. Uh, but boy, his vocals are young. I mean, he's 13. Yeah. Yeah, his he, balls haven't dropped yet. Yeah, he has not hit puberty. You know, he's very high-pitched, you know. Well, these I, guys were, I think, they are born between, like, 87 and 91. Mm-hmm. So, they're... They, Actually, I think it was 89, 91. They're, like... Yeah, they're young. That's, that's real young. Way young. They and could so, almost be my kids. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't be mine. Well... I don't think... Yeah, no. Biologically, they For could For you, be. they could. Yeah, you yes. got some years on me. Yeah, because you graduated in 93. I mean, yeah, I mean, I could have. Who had, doesn't have a kid at 16? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, why yeah, not? Yeah. yeah. If they would have went on to form this band, I would have been very proud. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good job, Pele. <laughs> would you have named him Pele? Or would you have Maybe. with a different Maybe. name? Maybe. Okay. Um, Pele Force. Isn't that, isn't that uh, Corthon's real name? Pele Forsberg? Oh, it's Forsberg. Yeah, I think it is. Is it? I could be completely full of shit. Ugh. That just jumped in my head. I don't know. I, think Actually, I'm, I, I don't know. I think I'm totally I wrong. I don't know. Um, I think Pelly Forsberg somebody else. I kind of hear like this weird Joey Tempest, like Europe kind of vocals on the early kind of stuff. Not 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 that we're going to play, but like that kind of level of high pitched or like the kind of thing you heard on like Nocturnal Rights almost. Pelly yeah. Forsberg's from Otain. Okay. Not from Bathory. Not from Bathory. Yeah. What's Corthon's real name then? <sighs> we need to Man, know I, now. I feel really dumb right yeah. now. It's all right. We're off our game. Neurosis really fucked us up. I'll be honest with you. Those of you that have gone through that neurosis thing, like I, I don't think I fully recovered from that yet. <laughs> Thomas Forsberg. Thomas so Forsberg. Forsberg is hey, 
connecting that. that. That's the Venn diagram. Okay. And the Venn diagram is Forsberg. And I did speak with a man in 1998 on the telephone, which was... Oh, okay. Yeah. You spoke with Corth. Yeah, I thought you I thought you were Corth. starting a story. You said, oh, no, no. I did speak with a man. I was like, where is he going with this? I spoke with One a man. One time I spoke with this guy who knew... Yeah. It's going to turn into a Twin Peaks part three. Um, But I think like what you get in these early years, um, and we're going to play something from their third demo called hidden dangers a tune called devil's return is you know you get a band that's like i mean like all young swedish bands i mean my god we've talked about this so many times you know whether it be a blaze of my sorrow or eucharist but like right out the gates music wise they're fucking talented Mm -hmm. you know like well they talked about that they when they're you know 12 years old doing iron maiden covers yeah it's like jesus christ (laughs) i know makes (laughs) your hands can barely like fit around the you know the stock of the guitar to play it i was but. playing fucking super nintendo with my hands i was playing know. with gi joe guys at 12 exactly. years old still you yeah know? so i mean like <laughs> i was I, we really wasted our youth god damn it well we didn't have the youth centers where yeah. they have the you know equip, if they would have had a drum set for me to play on and nobody to make fun of me i would have totally fucked around with that you know yeah i don't think i i couldn't have the patience to suck long enough to get good I was really too hard on myself. That's well, imagine if you had said. a group of like, you know, four friends, they're all starting at the same time. You've got that momentum. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, like working on the, like the zines and stuff, you've got that like a little bit of competitive nature yeah. that you want to make the thing the best you can make it. Sure. If you've got four people with the same like mindset, it'd be incredible. Well, I think what was tough for me is when Grand Corcoon, um, who has been on the podcast for a long, long time, but um, who was kind of like my kind of metal buddy he bought a guitar and when i was like hey i'm thinking about buying an instrument he's like buy a bass because we'll need we need a bass player and i just never really got passionate about bass it was like i couldn't i don't know i think i probably was wanting i probably would have gotten more invested if i like had maybe bought a guitar yeah because i I could have done a lot more right yeah yeah a bass is like kind of limited unless you like take lessons unless you're steve harris yeah yeah, or less Claypool, or you know, somebody that's you know, yeah, somebody's. But you, I think like the, the 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 instrument you choose, I think, says a lot about like it, it should come from your personality. I don't see you as a bass guy at all. No, well, they kind of he he knew and, and whatever this means. I I think he knew before like I was going to be the front man. Of course, you know what I mean, like yeah. just like whatever, like I, I can I can work a room, right? Yeah, with the, I talk to students all day and entertain people or whatever you want to call it, but. But and he was just like, well, let's kill. You're not two- as self conscious as most of the other, the most of the rest of us. Sure, yeah, <laughs> I guess, yeah. But like, uh, you know, he's like, well, let's kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, you know, so get a bass. What you should have done is just got a PA system, then got a female bassist. There you go. Because that Joe was bench. that was a big deal at Joe the time. Joe Bench, man. Yeah, yeah. hell yeah. Or uh, you know, uh, the the breeders. And, I don't you know. know if, that kind yeah, of shit. Kim Deal. I yeah. don't know if we had any girls that would. Oh, you know what? Evie. Well, Linda. Yeah, Linda see? taught me bass when I started dating her. See, there you go. But she was like doing like punk and alternative. I don't know if she would have wanted to. Oh, do you just like speed it up from Celtic Frost and Anathema shit that we were doing. But Same bass, really. I know, I know. I just I was <laughs> I was too self conscious. I think I don't know Mark and I came up in such a weird era where like I don't know a lot of the girls I hung out with were very leery of this stuff. You know, it's not like today where like people aren't as scared of shit anymore because they're exposed to everything. Like well, they, the they have an people. entry point too. Like back then that was such a male dominated thing. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, the only reason I really gave alternative stuff and punk more of a chance is because girls liked it. Sure. Yeah. And then I found out, Oh, I, I like the cure and I like, you know, 
the first Smashing Pumpkins record and yep. you know some of this other shit, but Dead Kennedys, but um, that's one of those things where yeah, looking running after girls actually kind of paid off, but yeah, now it's a completely different story now. Like yeah, now it's like whatever. It's, it's, everybody's into everything. It's fine. It's sure. great. Yep. So yeah, so it's a little. There's a little. That's a little <laughs> personal. You know, that's that's why I didn't play music. You know, maybe someday I'll pick up a. Maybe when I'm retired, you know, I pick up acoustic guitar and. I think pick up electric guitar and get yourself some some emulator boxes and start learning well, how to play what if I wanna, songs. What if I want to make a singer-songwriter, uh, you know, you Nick, Nick Drake record or something? You know? There you go. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think I have that in me. I'm too... I just say what's on my mind most of the time. I don't have, like, a lot of hidden demons. That's, yeah. that's part of my problem. I don't think I would have been a good lyric writer because I don't have, like, a lot of pent-up fucking weird shit. I just kind of, like... That's a key to this band. Yeah. Is that... Yeah, like because you could you could write some Michael Ackerfeld lyrics that are kind of trite yeah, and stupid. Exactly. Uh, that's been the thing that's always kind of like limited Opeth's appeal to me. That I don't think he's he doesn't have the right mindset for all that stuff. He's a I think he's a great uh, writer and singer. Sure, yeah, I, I think he's a piss poor lyricist. Um, and when you like when you get into lyrics of this band a little bit more post, you know, into the world and into Sister. Yeah. Um, they're really going somewhere interesting. The first record is kind of it's pretty merciful fate, occultish kind of it's, stuff. Yeah. It's just heavy metal yeah, bullshit. That's it. But then they start going a little deeper and that's when it gets a little more interesting. I think one, well, you know, the writing process is so fascinating. And I think for all the records, um, they kind of talk about how they would leave Uppsala and go to a Northern village, even more in the North where 50, it's a 52 person village. And they basically <laughs> went to the, uh, this is Pele and Gottfried, the two brothers, to their grandpa's isolated cabin to write. Um, and that's really the landscape or Zupsala and this like abandoned cabin. And it kind of creates this tapestry for them to, to do the things that they're sort of, you know, going to do. So that's a pretty romantic idea too, you know, like to go away and write the great American no novel. Service. Yes. Yeah. He talks about there. No one can contact them. It's just in the middle. That's of how nowhere. the, you know, the, some of the later dark throne records were done at the, you know, Necrohell Studios, where they basically go to a cabin and record yeah. over a weekend or a week or whatever. Well, Fenris is a, aren't they, one of them's an expert hiker, right? Fenris is, yes. Yeah, he's like the, the hiking master. Yeah, so. when he stopped smoking and yeah. that's how you, hey man, it's you like you, get out there. It's like your story. You get exactly. Stop smoking, start lifting some weights. Yeah. Get back you got to do it. something. You can't just get rid of a vice without yeah, getting gotta, another one. Exactly. But yeah. you got to pick up a good vice yes. and not a, yeah. I didn't start doing pills or something, yeah. you know. At least you didn't do like full on, like, like our buddy Luke, um, who's a patron, um, he got into CrossFit, but he didn't become like the weird CrossFit person. So like, which was cool. But yeah. like, I've seen some people that like it's it like a religion like a cult for some people, something like that, which ridiculous. is fine. And, and if you if you're young, it's fine. But as soon as you hit like 35, 40, that shit just destroys your joints. Yeah, it doesn't do anything good for you, really. Yeah, yeah. just lift heavy shit and eat a bunch of meat. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> If you want to get, you heard it from us. Yes. <laughs> that's if you want to lift heavy stuff, anyway. but if you want to look good, then CrossFit's. Your, yeah, there you go. There you know, you go. If you want to have that V V taper that all the girls are crazy hey, after. Yeah, that's that's what I'm all about. Is they're not really being cut. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, dad bods are more comfortable. A little bit to lay on. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't want to be too muscular because then. It's like, I, I used to go from yeah, get a little bit. You know, get 10, 15 pounds overweight and then just smoke cigarettes and not eat oh, in my that's, 20s. that's how you lo- lo- that's, lost yeah. weight. Then I'd yeah. get down to like 155. There you go. I'd look like shit. Like I look at pictures and I was like, Jesus. 
Yeah. I just look unhealthy. I always had a cross country build, so I wasn't like too, I don't know. I always wanted more weight in a strange way. And now yeah. I'm like at the point where I'm at like a pretty comfortable thing. I, I want, I need to exercise a little bit more consistently. That's my biggest problem at this, this well, we're, day. We're getting to that age where your metabolism starts to. Yeah. I used to have an incredible metabolism and now it's, it's slowing down a little bit. Yeah. So I and these guys are all real thin. That's what we're talking about this. Yeah, exactly. But so we get to the hidden de- dangers uh, demo in tw- 20, uh, 2006, and we're going to play a tune called Devil's Return. And, um, you know, I just wrote it's pretty stock, but it's a pretty confident effort for a band made up of, you know, 14 year olds, 16 year olds, and the oldest is 17 at this point. Um, and, and, you know, when you're hearing this vocal performance, if you haven't ever heard the, the In Solitude demo, I mean, just think about it. He's fucking 14 years old. You know, that's his high register is higher than it would. Like as he goes on, his register becomes kind of like it becomes very apparent, like where his limits are. Yeah, but he, well, you heard it in Death Knows Where, and he comes yeah. a little bit too. But yeah. he, 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 I think that's a strength to his self awareness. I guess that you know you're, he's not pushing it too far. Yeah, he knows what the range is, but he's using every like ounce of that range to you know to to get that idea out there. Yeah, for sure. And I mean. You can hear musically, obviously, Maiden, uh, even a little Led Zeppelin around like the three minute mark of this tune. Um, you know, the twid lead melodies that obviously you would hear in Nawabum type stuff. Um, but there's even like some some doomier things that kind of pop in at times from like Merciful Fate, Satan. I hear a lot of that band yeah. in, in some of the early sort of stuff that they're doing. Um, and then we go right to from there into um, a, a single that came out two years later, but it was kind of technically recorded at the end of 2006. And the original version of the song appeared on the Hidden Dangers demo, and then they released it as a single in 2008. And, uh, you know, not a lot going on here outside of it's just total maiden worship. I don't yeah. know what you wrote about these two tunes, Devil's Return and Hidden Dangers. but I it's mean, just, all, their, all their influences are clearly on their sleeve at this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, Hidden Dangers, what you'll hear between this and, say, what the debut that we'll get into is, to me, like... it it's a little too bright still it's it's got some power metal almost elements yeah to it. there's some yeah some like some halloweenish yeah some like mid 80s kind of speed metal power yeah. metal kind of stuff whereas like once we get into the next set where you start hearing stuff like which is sabbath it gets a little more culty and darker less power metal it's maybe. yeah it's it's new album and merciful fate yeah king diamond for and, sure yeah. for sure so let's hear it well we're just going to listen to this pair of tunes and come back and set up their debut record so we've got devil's return from the hidden dangers demo and Hidden Danger in the Night from the Hidden Danger single from 2008.
That was Hidden Danger and Devil's Return from the kind of demo days of um, In Solitude. And now we arrive at the debut. And I think, Mark, you were in the same boat as me. This is You didn't hear this until After the World, The Flesh and the Devil. Um, Correct. High Roller Records. I don't know a lot about them. I Well, they um, I think they're a German label. Um, usually they'll do a lot of reissues, a lot of... Um, God, what, I'm trying to think what I've gotten recently on high roller i've got a couple things um but it's kind of like a throwback yeah label from my understanding a lot of that like new new album type stuff that kind of started in the well that's what mid i was gonna 2000s and, i was gonna ask you like where do you think these guys fall in that kind of revival movement because to me i feel like they're like a little bit ahead of it they yeah they were um yeah they were right in the cut because they were playing like the first record they're playing that like keep it true festival that's basically traditional heavy metal yeah kind of shit and um yeah so i'm trying to think like because like to me like what was big in like 2006 2007 2008 was a sort of like the municipal waste like thrash revival that was even earlier actually what's that the municipal the the, the thrash revival that that started early 2000s because the thrash revival started that whole kind of like ramp up and then it became then it went back again to more like the the new album traditional kind of. heavy metal and new album stuff was that like do you think they were part or i think it, initially they were part of that but, but were they ahead of it is what yes. i mean i think they were they're a part of it with uh they were on the like upward swing of, it? of that do you think in the beginning i was trying to think about this question <sighs> i know i'm putting you on the spot because i was trying to like think because i didn't, I didn't really care this? about it that much I at know. the time because it seemed very just like the thrash revival stuff like um municipal and toxic holocaust are the two that kind of stood out as being sure. Um, they were doing something a little bit different. Um, it wasn't just exactly, you know, carbon copies of, and that's what I think in solitude was doing as well. But I think they were really only in it in their demo stage and that, that first record. And they were kind of trailing off pretty quickly. The only band I can draw a contemporaneous sort of thing for me of this era. And again, this record that I really got into came out when the world and the flesh and the devil sort of came out or right around that time, maybe a year before is that Dawnbringer nucleus. To me, there's like, some semblance like that album like to me was like was wow last record too i think wasn't it? no they've had some sensor yeah okay. there's some pretty good ones actually um not as like publicized nucleus got a lot of attention i yeah. think it was like top five decibel Speaking records of, yeah like uh, high spirits is another uh chris, yes. chris black band yep. that's very of that keep it true festival kind yes. of okay vibe. yep yeah um yeah so you know i i think that that was a band that kind of made me kind of aware that there was this sort of retro thing kind of happening because that that and that whole occult thing was happening at the same time, but yes. I think they were kind of they were kind of parallel trajectories. Yeah, and I think that in solitude kind of jumped from one to the other and then exceeded them and both. Then went transcended them. I would yeah, say exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyways, it's I, I you know maybe if, if you know listeners know or you have a little bit more you know I, I wasn't I, into that stuff as much. I then, knew like names know? at the time, but I just it didn't do much for me, so I didn't really go back. And yeah. I mean, like Ghost was part of that and. Um, yeah, but Ghost doesn't come out till 2011 either. You yeah, know what I mean, or 2010, yeah. 2011, and then like Uncle Acid, but that's yeah, different too. But that know? was like coming out of like I don't know, not Doom, but um, I kind of that scene a little bit more because yeah. of like where they the label that they were on and, and some of that. Well, and like yeah, Lucifer, Devil's Blood, all that yeah. kind of shit. But was Lucifer? Was that does Lucifer go back that far, or were they early 2010s? I'm trying to remember when, like, the Oath and, and Lucifer and that stuff. I think the Oath, that's right around the same time. I thought that was, like, 2011, maybe, 2012. 
perhaps, but I, I, I'd have to look them up. So I almost feel like In Solitude like predates a little bit of that explosion think, yeah. of that scene. Yeah. Know? Also, the, yeah, I don't think they really they were kind of thrown around the same. You know, uh, they were talked about as like is you know being kind of the same scene, but I think they they jumped scene to scene to scene so quickly that it was hard. Yeah, to, they were. That rapid was fire evolution. part of their like the interest, uh, you know, that really kind of you know made them stand out, but also kind of maybe like shun made them not as accessible for other people to get into because they're so like, yeah. I can't pin down what these guys are. Yeah, it was hard to like sort of build a scene or build a following when like your constant is change. It's like the anathema problem. Yeah, the eternal like we can always market them at metal people, but. They're really not a metal band, and they yeah. haven't been for 25 years. Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, and, and yeah, Anathema was you know quickly evolving in in the their early stages as well. You yeah, know? I mean, I guess like I I don't know why for some reason I'm drawing this sort of non metal thing, but I think of like the Benz OK Computer Kid A as three records in a row, and you're just like, that's the same band. Yeah, you know what I mean from Radiohead. Yeah. You know, it's like boom, 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 like you know, ma- major evolutions real quick and. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not as like abrupt with these guys between maybe the first and the second record, but really, you know, where you go from the world to sisters is pretty profound, you know? Yeah, I um, think between the first and the second is pretty, it's a pretty big jump. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you're going from more. Like the first record, the self title is all their influences. Through their view, just kind of wearing them on their sho- their sleeves. Yeah, very, I don't. I don't yeah. think they're doing anything incredibly unique or different. Yeah, it's all fun and sounds great, but then the world is its own thing. Yeah, it's the, taking those and like turning you go into from really fun their own to thing. like kind of serious anthemic kind of yeah. qualities to it. Yeah, maybe that's Palm's influence too. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's. I think Henrik kind of got them more focused a little bit, perhaps. You know, but I mean, Pele is really coming to his own on this record compared to what you just heard there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they're kind of doubling down on their merciful fatisms. I think that's the thing that they're really leaning into the most on this record. That at you the time, hear. nobody was doing that at all. Yeah. This is pre ghost. Like, really, there's not a whole, there's not a lot of blatant merciful fate. There, I mean, I'm sure there is now. There's this there's one a handful band of I bands. heard. Oh, boy. I heard them a couple years ago, and it's like the most overt merciful fate. I remember, yeah. You, and I we, shared you played it with for you. Me, yeah. I cannot, for the life of me, remember right off the tan. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot more of that, you know, today and stuff. Um, well, and that's about the same time I was doing the, the Merciful Fate book. Yeah. It was, uh, I think, 2011, 2012. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, I think it was 2011. So that was kind of, you know, in the air a little bit, but nobody was really. Maybe there's like a, a slow resurgence of Merciful Fate again. Yeah. Coming back into. That's when we did a show. It was probably 2010 on them. Yeah. You know? I think so. that was just that whole kind of like occult rock thing. They kind of like bubbled back to the surface a little bit. Yeah, because I'm not really sure when like Devil's Blood like officially came out. I know they were on that like kind of. I think it was like 2008, 2009. Probably same era as yeah. this then. Yeah. Because I didn't get Maybe into Devil's before. Blood for a couple of years. And I, I never was into Devil's Blood as much as some of those other bands. Um, they probably seem There's like a lot a, of Jethro Tullisms to them. So yeah. it's, you know. Yeah. I like my Jethro Tull yeah. in very <laughs> short you know, just burst. when they're not going against Metallica for the best yeah, metal album. Yeah, I saw the video of that. Have you seen that before? What's I, up? Uh, the Grammys video. I had never actually seen that until. Oh recently. yeah, I was watching it when I mean I rewatched it. Oh, you were watching it live? Yeah, when that happened. Okay, I was yeah. too young to care about the Grammys. I think that it was. Just, I only watched because Metallica was yeah was on it. So yep. speaking so. of, not to go off 
but thirty oh. fifth anniversary of Master Puppets. It was yes this week. Yes. Yep. So um, hard I, to believe, and I went back and listened to it three times in a row. And what's your what's what's your go to song on that record now? Oh, I just listened to the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> well, like to me, when I go back and listen to like deep, you know, like records that I know so well, I'm always looking for like a different cut. Like Disposable yeah. Heroes for me lately has been like a song that I think I liked a lot as a kid, but I didn't appreciate. And now I'm like, that song really is fucking excellent. Yeah, that was also on yeah. one of those uh, those Maiden comps with the Swedish, oh, okay. the Black Sun Records thing. Yep. I forget who who did it, but um, yeah, I, I try not to skip. That's my problem is I don't want to. That's like you know going back to listen to Zeppelin and skipping Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Like I want to hear all of the even the stuff I've heard a million times. Like. I don't want to go past battery or anything. Sure. And then, like, there was a, a really great documentary that some YouTube guy put out. Because how many fucking Metallica documentaries can you watch, you know? Sure. <laughs> uh, I watched Year and a Half of the Life of Metallica probably 30 times on VHS. Some kind of monsters. Great, great <laughs> fucking movie, man. But they went back and, like, talked about, like, the like other... He basically just took a bunch of interview clips and kind of made his own narrative out of the whole thing that wasn't stuff you'd normally hear. Yeah. And that battery was that was a street in San Francisco. I never knew. Well, that. they wrote it in like fifteen minutes, right? Yeah, they had to like come up with a song really quick. But I think that's, that's like near where like Ruthie's ends at and yeah. shit. And it's just like, oh, I just assumed it was like a military reference. Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> it's like uh, you know how they write "Smoke on the Water" after fucking yeah. watching the the casino burn down at the Frank Zappa show, and they're like, well, just fucking turn it into a song, just uh, narrate it. Just, it. it goes to yeah. show like how like really truly great records you can never talk about enough. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. No, after we talked ten, yeah. ten and a half hours about neurosis. Yeah. No shit. No <laughs> shit. I. It's just like weird because like uh, I don't. Know, I guess like when I listen to like Rain and Blood, when I you know I know that record backwards and forwards, but I always try and like like I don't know, focus on like Reborn. I'm like oh man, I haven't really focused on Reborn in a long time. Like I know Angel of Death and Rain, you know, yeah. or like Dispo- like I said, a Disposable Heroes or like Leopard Messiah or something where you just like I'm gonna really like. I don't think I've cracked the code on this one song yeah. still or something. I don't know. Yeah, and there's know like the you know, the Bowie reference for the, the song title and shit as well. Yeah. From yep. Ziggy Stardust. But. Yep. Yep. Um, it's just a, it's an age thing that I you know not having children I think makes you you put your your efforts elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's like this that's you can kind of glean all this extra shit that most people don't think about. Yeah. <laughs> in all this stuff, which is is just as. Uh, I don't know if it's. Just, I can't make that blanket statement as just as fulfilling, but it's 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 putting your energy in a productive, mm-hmm. you know, kind of uh, in a productive area that that uh, I don't think most people have the time or the wherewithal to just sit around and think about stuff like that. Sure. Well, I, think I feel it, privileged to be able to do it. It it, it kind of connects in a weird way with the, the you know the famous Dylan quote: "You can't be wise and in love at the same time." Mm-hmm. And again, I think you can. You you could probably be married and still kind of devote you know stuff, but once you throw kids in the equation, you're definitely like. But that sh- if you're pulled. not a shithead, that should be the most important thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, it's funny because like guys I teach with who have kids, like I'll be talking to them about what's going on with like the podcast, and they're like fucking fascinated. They're just like whoa, like because to them like that's like exciting because they have like a routine that's completely different. Whereas yeah. then like I'm like. I'm not like jealous necessarily, but I I definitely respect like their kids and like the the bond that that's got to be like what a cool fucking experience to yeah. shape you know yeah and so it's like 
we're both like jealous of each other sort of in a weird way like they're jealous of my it's, free it's, time and grass is always greener to, kind of thing exactly yes. but i feel if I, if I did have kids i'd be talking to them about this shit yeah probably. i'd want to in, engulf them and this is what yeah i give a shit about i mean like you know like you, and they might not care and that's the part that might suck well that's that's <laughs> re, that's the risk but yeah they're you'll find something that yeah like, they'll, you know, they'll find something you figure yeah. like you know you go fishing with your dad you watch sports you read sci-fi novels like you f- figure out something, something. that sure. that you have in you might common. rebel for a while but you might come back eventually in your 20s early, early on you're just stoked to like have somebody pay attention to you yeah yeah when absolutely teenage years then yeah yeah fuck you mom and that's when you make uh, in solitude self-titled there you go album and so what you're kind of going to get here we're going to play a, a quad of songs here and you know there there's not a a ton of variety i would say but um the first tune we're going to play is Seventh Ghost, and um, it's, uh, you know, it's in the name, I would say, Mark. Uh, I, I hear some morbid, catchy dirges that I think Ghost is going to popularize kind of three years later. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's, it, you know, they're both Swedish bands. They're both kind of drawing on some of those same kind of influences. So it's, I'm not saying that Ghost was copying what these guys are doing. I just think they're... It was in the water They're playing the in the same sandbox or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Pele, Pele does something really interesting with his vocals that I think you can kind of hear here, and it's something he'll do throughout his entire career. He's kind of the the master of what I would call the the non-enunciated bluesy kind of moan, where you almost like can't hear his lyrics that well, or like mm-hmm. the words, but like you hum along and sing along, but like you're almost like, he's like slurry. It's very non-enunciated. Um, he yeah. does that on Demons a lot, like in the next record, where you're like, no, no, no. And you're like, what is he saying? Like, <laughs> you know, but like you're into it, but yeah. he just doesn't enunciate. Like, that's not what he's known for. And it's almost like uh, what you would hear in like, you know, we were talking in the first talk said about like old blues records where like, I don't know what the fuck. The accents what doesn't so matter, deep. It's the and, feeling. Yeah. yeah you just, it's just that he creates like a, a mood or a feeling with the words without you actually having to know. And I mean, death metal does the same, right? Like you don't know yeah. what the fuck they're saying about most well, of the time. Carl Willits and yeah, he's always been a very enunciated a good death metal singer. Yes. Congrats, Carl Willits for your enunciation <laughs> skills. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's kind of something that jumped out to me in a song like this. Um, the chorus in this song, I said, it, this is a chorus that reminds me of something that you'd hear on the first three Danzig records. Yeah. There's a lot of that kind of quality. I don't know if it's the the sing-along kind of aspect of some of the stuff that you hear on these first two full lengths from them, but like Danzig's like, to me, uh, Danzig's all over this band in a weird way. I like think it, so. It's yeah. just there, but it's not something I initially thought about until I started doing research, and then it like sort of I think, snuck up on me a bit. Yeah, uh, Sam Hain more so than yeah necessarily yeah. the Danzig, but Dan, I think the first Dan first three Danzig records are kind of untouchable. Yeah, I mean I love four, but to me I like the four first too. three are like together. Yeah, or like a tr- trilogy. Four, well, because four has like little whip and some weird shit. That's yeah, not, they're starting more to do industrial, some industrial stuff. Yep, which I can appreciate. But yeah, I think the aesthetically, they're I think they're pulling from the same kind of set of influences. There, yeah, they're kind of like kindred spirits in a way. And I think what's interesting, the reason I decided to start off with Seventh Ghost instead of Witches Sabbath or Cathedral because it's it's not the sequencing on the CD, but um, I I'm kind of almost using this as like the petri dish song for the world because. Around the two-minute mark, there's this breakdown, and to me, it really tips its hat towards what we're going to hear on the next record. And so, you know, 
which is Sabbath and cathedral, which we'll talk about here in a moment, are very much draped in this sort of merciful fate kind of worship and, and Iron Maiden kind of mixed I mean, together. Which is Sabbath is almost it could be like a like a almost like a ghost song, really. Yeah, I mean, which is Sabbath is like um, I, I yeah we'll we'll get to it in a second. <laughs> so we so then we go from from that to the monolith and opening vocals. Um, to me, this is the best Pele is maybe vocally on the first record. Um, you know, when he beckons like all hail Satan, like that's such like, that's the kind of cool <laughs> shit for that. He's going to do on future records where like you're, you're locked into kind of what he's singing about, but it's yeah. like, but it's like eerie and also like catchy. I don't know. Well, I think that was like at the time we hadn't heard anything that blatant in a long time. It, it's paving the way for like ghosts kind of like retro occult Satanism, right? Yeah. Where you like because it wasn't you didn't hear it wasn't like uh, I, I've I can appreciate some deicide music, but the the lyrics have always been kind of dullard Keiko demon yeah beat blah, you over blah, the head blah, with blah, shit blah, 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 yeah uh, that that's usually what I would uh, associate with all hail Satan but when it's like sung yeah and not grunted and mm-hmm. then and also like what else is surrounding that it doesn't come across as being that bizarre to me at all no. it's like it just works yeah it's fun it's like yeah it's pop satanism yeah which is what ghosts perfected it's like iron maiden number of the beast it's yes. like it's not it's not a a worship thing it's a observation yeah you know? it's just yeah i get it's there to scare your parents but like it's really not scary at all yeah at all yeah <laughs> and you know it to me this is like the reason i think the monolith sort of stands out a little bit too it's it's and i'm going to use these words with quotes it's kind of got some doomy or dirgy elements to it. It's still a very fun song, you know, yeah. it's still very upbeat, but like it does show that they have this ability if they want to go a little bit moodier that they can go there, you know? I think, yeah, I think that's, I think they lean into that on the next record. Yes, absolutely. They um, realize they don't need the, they can play the new album stuff. It's fun. There's a little bit of that in the next record, but they don't, they don't need it. Yep. Yep. And then right, you know, right when they maybe do some like doomy or dirgy things, um, you know, uh, Gottfried on bass just goes full fucking Steve Harris near the end. I mean, it's like I just said, it's he's at his Steve Harris best. Um, and it's a really good closing tune. This is a song that actually closes the whole record out. Mm-hmm. We're not closing our set out with it, but um, uh, just good stuff. And then we get to the reason I paired these two songs is because these two songs are merciful fate. Absolutely. C- Cathedral and which is Sabbath. I mean, Cathedral literally opens with fucking Curse of the Pharaohs. Yeah. The riffs, you know? <laughs> and so, like, it's, I, I don't know. What, what can you do, you know? Um, which is Sabbath, I said, is the perfect marriage of Dave Murray and Hank Sherman if they were, like, like a crossover team or something yeah, like we that. Yeah, we talked about this off mic, but I was like, this is the, the only time I've really ever heard anybody emulate Dave Murray's solo style. Yeah. Uh, and it's very... If you're a long, you know, long-term Maiden fan, you can tell Yannick Gears between Adrian Smith and yes. Dave Murray, yep. all very distinct players. Yep. Usually, people lean more toward Adrian Smith and Yannick, the more wild, yeah, stuff. But Dave's just like Dave's that, that arpeggio guy, arpeggio and guy. yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And there's even like uh, the opening riff of the of Witch's Sabbath. You know, I talked about the opening riff in Cathedral, but the opening riff there in Witch's Sabbath sounds like something you would have heard on maybe. Like Abigail, like a, it's almost like it's a more Michael, King Diamond. Michael Denner, yeah, kind of, kind of tune, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. Um, and what really just jumps out to me about these two songs, really any of these songs, is it's really a it's a very confident record for a bunch of young guys and mm-hmm. a debut, 
you know it's not my go-to in solitude but fuck for like a bunch of 16 and 17 year old dudes like good for you the fun thing doing this this show is that i've been bouncing around a lot yeah between the different records and they all kind of like uh they feed like a certain kind of like hunger that i've got yeah like no matter what it is they have it yes like there's that uh anytime if like maiden's a go-to thing if i'm feeling kind of like ugh, just kind of like whatever like i'm not feeling great not not have like low energy kind of it never doesn't make you happy yeah i put it on and it's just like it washes over me and just like elevates me yeah and that first record can do that if you're more pensive you know you listen to sister if you're more yeah you know there's there's different moods for every record and i think that's like what the world was for me for so long yeah and now i've accepted the fate that sister's better (laughs) and i'm okay with. i think it's a maturity thing too yeah because like i mean you know, you're in your 30s when when the world came yeah, out, and you're in yeah. your 40s now, and Sister makes, you know, it's... I think, yeah, you go to different bands for different things, and I think I was getting what Sister is maybe from another band, perhaps, or maybe from a diff- even different genres, perhaps, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, like, if I need to go to, like, that kind of dark but beautiful place, like, I might be going to, like, Anathema back in 10 years ago, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, or early Catatonia or something like that. Sure. Now, now that I'm kind of getting into... You know, a lot of new wave, post punk, Joy Division, Killing Joke, Swans. It's like, oh, Sister makes a fuck ton more sense to me now. Yeah. Early Cure, you know, mm-hmm. which I've always liked the Cure, but I didn't really pick up uh, Faith and Pornography until like maybe maybe a decade ago or something, and really start to digest those songs. Yeah, and it wasn't really. I'll be honest, Pornography I liked, but it wasn't till Tribulation covered 100 Years where I was like deep dive, and now I'm like, oh the fuck's wrong with me why wasn't i you just weren't ready for it yeah or i had perceptions of what i thought the cure was because i heard friday i'm in love so many times that i never would have expected how dark those early cure records actually were yeah in a way that's not like disintegration yes like this kind of like lo-fi kind of way that sure I, i really appreciate that aesthetic a lot now there's something i just found uh i have that special edition faith um i'll have to show it to you off mic but i have the special edition like faith record and um one of the bonus things on like the second disc it's this like 16 minute long song that they wrote i think for like a documentary or whatever and Mm -hmm. it sounds like fucking carpenter brute it sounds exactly like john carpenter solo records (laughs) it's really (laughs) interesting we'll have to listen to off mic but i was like what the fuck this is the cure like it was just weird it's very like synth wave that's cool soundtrack that's type own, music yeah. from the early 80s like stranger things i was like oh shit you know i didn't know that and it's mostly instrumental i think i, don't know. I might be talking completely out of my ass about that part but um <laughs> yeah so anyways you know so you get that with with witches sabbath and the last thing i'll say about cathedral and um not the band cathedral but this is cathedral with a k yes cathedral with a k i said pele's a little brighter here um, you know, with kind of, I said some like nocturnal rights, almost leanings at the beginning. But when you get him to the part in the song where he says cemetery, the cathedral, he really kind of goes into like his low end. And he's got this like kind of great where he's not trying to sing high anymore, but he's mm-hmm. almost like his speaking kind of lower register. Like a baritone voice. thing. Yeah. Going on. Um, it's really cool. I, I think that's, that's a really cool quality that he'll like lean on on future records, especially on Sister. This and, is probably the first song that. When I first listened to this record, like mm-hmm. ten years ago, whenever the hell it came out, or whenever I got it, yeah, um, that that vocal line it was the first thing. I was like, God, this is 
I love it. Yeah, that cemetery. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah really. Cemetery. Yeah. And then the midsection, great. I said Iron Maiden, Queensryche, kind of rhythmic sort of shuffle that you hear on those like early Queensryche and, and stuff like that. And um, it's a it's a real highlight. It reminds me of like what's cool is, you know, the whole song starts out with the Curse of the Pharaoh, kind of early Merciful Fate riff. But mm-hmm. that midsection part sounds like In the Shadows kind of era fate. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. And that... You don't hear a lot of bands copying that era of Merciful Fate, which is unfortunate because well, that's such a great record. In the know? Shadows is the first Merciful Fate record I really digested all the way. Yeah. In 93, whenever it came out. 92, 93, yep, yep. Because um, the only reason I even knew anything about Merciful Fate was because of Metallica. Yep. And I remember, um, I think that the Egypt video was on Headbangers Ball quite a bit. And at Harpo's. <laughs> yes, yes. Their limited yeah. VHS selection they had yeah. like, you know, between bands or whatever, but... Um, I think that record's brilliant. It's a comeback record, yep. And it's one of the, probably one of the one of the best extreme metal comeback records. It's really catchy. It's incredible. Yeah, really from start to finish. So there's a there's yeah. an episode we did a did we, we did one it? on the first three. Yep, we did. So uh, maybe we could just do <laughs> in the shadows. Yeah, maybe we, we could. Go to, well, we could do '90s era. Do time, and I think yeah, time's a great yeah, record too. Yeah, those are fun stuff. Yeah. So. But uh, so let's get into it. Let's get into this first record and kind of let you folks digest it. This might be the one you might not know, depending on how much your fandom is. But we've got Seventh Ghost, The Monolith, Witch's Sabbath, and Cathedral with a K.
cathedral, which is Sabbath, the monolith, and seventh ghost. And so, um, you know, three years later, they get, uh, I mean, they've been signed now to Metal Blade, um, which I is think a, good a big deal. Home for them, too. Yeah, I think it was. Tribulation's new home. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I've been really getting in that new tribulation lately. It's, uh, I, I, I had the promo for quite a while. Yeah, okay. Um, and I was slightly underwhelmed at first. Mm hmm. And it's then, growing uh, on me a lot, though. It's it's one of those things where it's uh, the infinite. I don't know how many more albums they can do this. Mm. Um, well, it'll be interesting without Jonathan to see, like, how yeah, much like they change where they here. might. I think they might not regress, but maybe go a more extreme uh, thing. But I I love the refinement on that record. Yeah, the production's incredible on it. Funeral Pyre is my jam. The second to last song. I yeah. Know, off mic will need that was their first video i think was it oh okay i haven't you play on youtube a lot more than i do i don't get as much chance to watch that's my television basically that's your 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 gig um i'm not in front of screens as much which is bummer so that's why i'm more like probably podcast land because i'm more in like transportation to school and you know i mean like i'm not i'm in like never sitting it was one of their first singles that they okay but there's a riff in funeral pyre that i can't figure out if it's Nagafar, Don, Demu Borger. <laughs> it's like one of those riffs. Like it's driving me crazy, and so I'm, I'll need your opinion. We'll have okay. to we'll have to bust it out because because I can like ex- I I know exactly the Nagafar song. I think it's from. I also know where the Demu song. I think it's from. But it's like a, or maybe it's hypocrisy. I, it's it's something that they're doing there that's very. It's iconically catchy and just reminds me of something, but. Oh yeah, all those bands definitely uh, trade in the melody. So yeah, there's some black and death kind of thing sort of happening there. But um, yeah, so Metal Blade, a really good home for them, and I mean tons of exposure because obviously I I didn't know much about In Solitude. I don't think you did until this record came out, and I think Decibel started to give it quite a bit of attention. Mm-hmm. It was like it's top five. I know for the 2011 countdown. That's where I think like, it made. Th- Two or three, yeah. I like I mean, I was like, was "Whoa, high. okay, where where'd this guy come from?" Um, you know, in Christian theology, the the world, the flesh, the devil. Um, these are the three enemies of the soul. Did a little research, so that's where where they're kind of coming. Oh, here's from. here's another. Is maybe this is the spot oh. to throw it in. Oh yeah, is uh, one of the interviews I was I was watching. Uh, it was, I think I believe it was a German uh, interviewer to, uh, interviewing the band and. Uh, please describe in solitude to me. And then uh, Pelly was like, prayers on fire for helpless children was one of the yeah. the terms he used wow. to describe them. And also, uh, proper dark rock music for sensitive people the deep, that shows the deep cracks in people. I like that. I was like, okay, yeah. I love the, the prayers on fire for helpless Jesus. children. That's like a great... Uh, <laughs> this is like a grindcore that, yeah, fucking that be crust like a, album or a something. really you know? amazing record <laughs> title. So, But I think... I think the secret weapon to this record is probably, you know, production. Obviously, you know, we're recording in Nikki Anderson's studio with Dr. Fred Etsby. Yeah. Uh, who also is closely associated with a band that I feel like took some inspiration from in solitude. He's the sound production guy for, he did all the live sound for tribulation. Yeah. Off so. of, uh, the show of the night tour. Was it show of the night? Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing, taking pictures of Fred at, uh, whatever show L that Club. was. Yeah, yep. Detroit. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can just kind of start to... They're growing up. And I mean, they're not that old. They're what, like 19, maybe? 17, 18, 19? On this record, they, they go from uh, 
the range from 20 to 24. I okay. actually wrote it down. Yeah, because Pele would be 20. He's born 91. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. I wasn't doing, well, I was, I was doing a fanzine, but I wasn't. Yeah. The, the, the emotional maturity and the stuff that it still holds up is kind of incredible to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, he, you know, some bands I'm not like, uh, I might be a fan of like the vocals, but we were talking about this before with Opeth, but maybe I don't care about the lyrics. I, I kind of care about the lyrics. With the lyrics band. are great. Yeah. yeah. They're kind of like, and I didn't always like read them, but like when I actually like start going more in depth on it, I'm, I'm able to pull some things out. You know, he seems to have some pretty good insight into his psychology, into the. Well, to be able to like, like use metaphor well mm-hmm. and not just, I don't know. It's, it's really easy when lyrics are terrible, they stand out. Sure. And when they're really great, they stand out. And there's a, that middle ground. This goes between like the middle ground where they're they great. They're great. They work for the music, but they don't stand out in like an embarrassing sure. way at all. But then on Sister, they even that's surpass yeah, like transcendent. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, I think the real secret weapon for me though is is Henrik Palm. Yes, um, absolutely. And he came from a band I don't know much about him called Sonic Ritual, kind of like a seventies. They've got a lot of seventies kind of retro sound from what I've sort of read. I mm-hmm. I looked them up. They weren't on Spotify, so and I didn't really. I should have pursued it more, but I, I didn't. Um, and there's only so much we can do. Yes, that's true. And so, <laughs> uh, so that means. Hang on, let me make sure I get the names right. That means exit, Mateus, and enter Henrik. All right, so. Um, and Henrik's an interesting dude because a couple years after this, he'll end up playing bass with Ghost. Like he's on the Melora. Um, he was on the um, the EP they put out right after Meloria. Um, oh, the Abba, the um, Puppeteer song. The fuck or the head? The cover looked like uh, Nosferatu. Was that the one? I don't know if it was that one. Maybe it's the one that has Marionette. Uh, was the has, song? Uh, um, Square Hammer. That's what I keep thinking of. It was the Square Hammer EP or whatever it is. Um, no, the Marionettes one was before Meliora, I believe. It was yeah. It was right after the first one. That's got the um, the Abba Marionette song. It's got a thirteenth floor elevator, or Roxy Erickson tune, right? Oh, that's if we uh, if you have ghosts or whatever it is. That's yeah. That's the name of the EP. Yeah, yeah. that's the one Dave Grohl produced. Yeah, he played drums on it, I think, too, didn't he? I don't know if he played. I know he like helped produce it, I guess. But yeah, if you need ghosts, if you need, I, I if you have ghosts, yeah, if the you have Rocky ghosts, Erickson song. That's yeah. a Roxy area. It's funny. I don't think about ghosts that much anymore. It's weird. I, just, I like, mean, they're. I just like listen to them sometimes, but it's not like ten years ago. They're you know? fun, but they're not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Square Hammer. Square Hammer. I play the shit out of that in my classroom because my students actually dig that song. You know. So yeah, I still I, I appreciate yeah what they're doing. It's I'm not, not a ghost hate. We're not ghost haters. Here. We're not ghost haters. Yeah, we were. I, I feel like we were. We saw their their first. We're US pretty cutting performance. edge. I don't. I I feel like we were, we were yeah. very early. In, you know, again, Ghost made like the decibel albums of the year, and you know everybody else. It was uh, the cover of the 100th issue. Yeah. So, but I, I we I I like Ghost. I I, feel, I don't want to say I'm hipster about it, but I feel like we if. If we had a be- a bigger forum, uh, we would have been right at the the very. Well, we were, it was just like we we saw that that metal um, MDF performance in 2011. It was Cathedral's last yeah uh, show as well, and and them, and then we started seeing them. They started playing around Detroit more, and we noticed the shows getting more and more annoying because of non metal people. Yeah, that have, a- don't have the same 
respect for other people that are at the shows than metal people usually do. It was be- becoming a little more obnoxious with the crowds. I remember you, uh, you didn't you like hip check somebody into a bathroom at a ghost show who was like, like bugging you near the pit. I remember you. I like, think so. Yeah, you went to like a, one side. You came back. You're like, I don't know, man. I just like, <laughs> like I, I literally threw this guy like towards the bathroom because he was bugging me. And, that's and, the, like the that's the my biggest problem with with those type like other. I'm, I'm glad that other people like this stuff and they want to come and see it. But they think it's a free for all, and you just be an asshole. Yeah. But you have to have the thing in like that I learned early on in pits is that people are all there for the, mostly are all there for the same reason. Yeah. You got a couple used to be skinhead guys that just want to like you know fucking karate punch people in the neck and shit. <laughs> but most of the time, people are there for the same reasons. And when you get obnoxious turds that just want to like hurt people or be, or they think like annoying. the cliche of metal is like real. Yeah. You know, they're playing yeah. they're playing to what they perceive they think metal is because they kind of have like a hipster image of metal or they're, yeah, irony. They're swinging their elbows into people and yeah. like nobody needs to get hurt at a at a fucking show. The, the pit is controlled chaos. Yes, exactly. You know, like I Most of the time people are kind of like bouncing yeah, around just, a little bit. It's like it's like being at like a Blue Oyster Cult show. Everybody just <laughs> wants to fucking have a beard and just live life. Maybe see uh, a 50-year-old lady flash her tits that's at you or something. Yeah, you know, that's, that's all we want. That's all it's about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, but speaking of ghosts, I would say like that Opus uh, Eponymous and World the Flesh of the Devil, probably in 2011, those are definitely the two records I, I listen to the most because... I could listen to them wherever, you know, as I was mm-hmm. kind of saying, like they were, they were comfortable in multiple environments. It was kind of a nice know? palate cleanse too for, that might've been, was that the first area where we had like more classic heavy metal, like influence stuff that wasn't just extreme obnoxious shit. You mean for you and I personally? Yeah. Where it would, it was like a, a bit, it was like a, almost like a scene. Yeah. There was still like the, that more traditional heavy metal kind of like, Rearing its head. I remember listening to a lot more traditional heavy metal at that time, too. Yeah, I feel like we were doing, um, you know, we were really starting to do deep dives and like Judas Priest. That's when we did our three part. I think that was like, that might have preceded Ghost, but I think we were in the right like head space to start thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, we were doing Angel Witch shows and, you know, like yeah. we were really starting to kind of think about like a lot more of that stuff um, historically, probably, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, so I think that that played a role in that, you know, in a cool way. Um, I don't know. There's something about these two records that just like they they were like life affirming, you know. When I would put them on, you know, which um, is I mean, just like with with not to keep talking about tribulation, but when you're in a scene for a really long period of time and you're like, oh, what's what could possibly ever come up and be interesting and cool again, mm-hmm. and then like, you know, in solitude comes up, ghost comes up um horrendous like all these things where you're like oh shit that's what i was missing they kind of remind you of your they renew your love yeah almost of of the genre that you know cycles itself out when certain scenes or in certain movements you and know you've been listening to shit for 35 years it's like it's great when something when you can be surprised by young people doing stuff Yep. like when they they went back and listened to the stuff that you did but given the virtue of their age they have a different, uh, you know, a different uh, approach to it. And it's just, it's incredible. Sure. And like, I, you know, you get to like the title track that we're going to kind of kick off here. And like, you know, to me, everything that these guys are doing is predictable. It's, but, but not in a bad way. I'm not using it. And it's like, it's everything you kind of 
you know you want it, but like they do it right. They like mm-hmm. put all these pieces together, and it's anthemic. It's wondrous. This is the record for me. I compare to Nucleus from Dawnbringer. Like when I put Nucleus from Dawnbringer, and I'm like, oh, this has everything I want in a metal record. And to some people, that might be cliche. It might be like mm, you know, kitchen sinky, yeah, or like wink winky. But like, oh well. Like sometimes you just want a fun like record that just works, you know. And, and referential that's maybe the to the difference past between, too. Yeah. What's that? Referential to the past. Sure, and I think that's probably what's different about the world from like maybe Sister. Sister's a difficult record. Yes, absolutely. The world is like you can. It's effortless. Like I can listen to Demons, or I could listen to the opening title track, or Serpents Are Rising, and I'm just like happy. Like I'm just yeah. I can sing along. It can be background music. It's just like no one in the car is annoyed. They're just like everybody's kind of. It does like, kind of have that know. like early Maiden vibe of yeah. like positivity. That's it, and that's what I get from Dawnbringer. Like yeah. I just when I put here, triumphant. Like, yeah, tri- yeah. It's just like well, you use that word a lot, happy. but yeah, yeah it's yeah. just like okay. I feel I feel really. It's like spirited almost. You know, there's there's something to kind of about it, and uh, it's not super original, but like damn it, it just kind of hits different. You know, the, another interesting thing up one of the interviews for this album cycle is where they're talking. They're, one of the interviewers was asking about influence, and uh, they they tried to skirt that topic, and they. They want to. Uh, they don't want to sound like Iron Maiden. They want to think like Iron Maiden. And I thought that was a really that's a cool. interesting quote. Yeah, because if you if you have listened to Iron Maiden for as long as I've listened to Iron Maiden, you understand the like what Steve Harris brings to the table. Yes. Um, from not not just from a musician standpoint, but like his whole like his worldview, his musical identity is all throughout. Like he's the. He's the boss of Iron Maiden. Yes, like it's his, it's his, uh, it's his jam. Um, but yeah, I thought that was just an interesting quote. For I've never heard it so succinctly. Like especially when you hear that first record, that's very obviously Maiden sure. influence. But now they take that Maiden influence and try to not use it literally, but you know, a fundamental idea of how they create their music. Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a cool way of putting it. I. I I haven't thought of it that way, but it makes a lot of sense. And I've heard other bands do that before where like you, you can tell what they're doing, but they're doing it originally. Mm-hmm. And so they're making it their own, but yet it's like totally, you know, like I think re- it's becoming exactly what you should be. Your, sure. your singular idea and vision. Nobody else sounds like Iron Maiden. I mean, people take mm-hmm. pieces here and there, but every, no matter how successful or, unsuccessful an iron maiden record is you know within 10 seconds it's an iron maiden record yes there's a certain amount of dna that that's there and i think if they use that 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 quote as like just figure out who you are and then move forward who cares what it sounds like you know you know what in solitude sounds like yes i the the comparison i can maybe think um that might be more of a of language for like our our, our sort of <laughs> circle like when we heard Rapture Futile the first time, that was a record that wasn't a copy of Brave Murder Day, but they were thinking like Brave Murder Day. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like, and that's why that record was cool because it wasn't trying to be it, but you could tell like they were they were like absorbing it, but then doing their own thing with it. Well, yeah. Like, w- like what that. else? Like, what else can we do with this formula? Because yeah. 
Catatonia didn't stick around with that very long. No. So, but we can like maybe go to this edge and play around here with this sound in a way they didn't, you know, yeah. you know, so we can d- use it and kind of move in different directions a little bit. And I think that's kind of cool. I mean, it's just, it's just like, yeah, like Paradise Lost Christendom. And then what did Catatonia yeah, do with yeah, it? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, there's just like, there's things in this opening cut that are just fucking like awesome. Like when he strains those notes in the chorus, um, while the drums are kind of doing this like cool, like blind guardian, like early speed metal kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, then at two fifteen with the like illusions, you know, that sort of vocal part where like it then kind of gallops into this like fucking amazing solo. Um, where Henrik, that's where Henrik really shows off. Like that'll be a recurring thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Incredible solos. Um, but what's cool about it is it's a, it's a very melodic solo because it's like, again, it's got the DNA of, like you said, probably Iron Maiden and Denner and Sherman where mm-hmm. they're not doing Randy Rhodes or, you know, George Lynch kind of stuff. So it's not flashy, but it's got a lot of feel. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of feel and kind of what they're doing. But here's the part that like, and this is like the kind of things, I don't know why I think about this stuff. This is why I return to this song. You go through this solo, all right? And and the solo kind of really takes off about like 2, 2.30 mark, right? Right after he does the illusions kind of part. And there's this whole midsection that's very playful in this song, all right? It's kind of going back and forth. Like they're all just, they're having fun on stage, right? Probably yeah. like Maiden in the middle of like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner or Went something like back. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of that, like I can just kind of picture that. And then there's this like triumphant sort of return with the music. And it even does this like crescendo and Pele's vocals, like, like make it return back to the beginning. Yeah. Right. It's this like weird, cool, like cycle. And it's so cliche fucking bands have done it forever, but the way in solitude does it in this opening cut, like it's, it's perfect. I don't know. I I think they're, they're, they're going to like tried and true songwriting ideas. Yeah. Like a very very Swedish, uh, like idea of cr- like craft is a songwriting craft in Sweden is like <laughs> sure as I was alluding to in that article earlier. Yeah, you know, there's like there's something about it. I I don't know how far it goes back into their history, but um, like the their traditional you know folk music. Mm-hmm. If that like what what about being in a a Nordic cold mostly dark country. Is that like a survival mechanism that you need the the positivity of harmony and melody to yeah <laughs> to to make it through the harsh winter? Like sure, who knows? Like, but it's interesting to see that yeah, like uh, go on for fuck since what was uh what was Abba was that late sixties early seventies or is that mid seventies mid seventies yeah mid seventies you know all the way up through you know but ca- cardigans and, yeah as I far mean, as we go back bands, into yeah. Swedish music history it's always there yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they just do it here, and it's, I don't know, like I said, it's cliche, but it, it works. And uh, Well, cliches, like stereotypes. They're there they're, for a reason. They're there for a reason, yeah. 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 And then we get Serpents Horizon. Um, Mark, do you like Nawabum? I do. <laughs> uh, this is his best vocal so far that I think we've heard in the show, outside of the opening two cuts from Sister. Um, well, there, uh, there's a marked difference in his vocals because of his age i think yeah that the highs aren't as high as they were yeah there's none of the like the the more 
uh, falsetto screams. There's only a couple in the first record, but um, that we even heard in the demo stuff. Like he's becoming more of a baritone. Is this the best chorus so far? Serpents are rising because he he's just he holds that note on all the ings. Yeah. Like he just does these really cool things with all like the rhyming things that he's doing that like for me, it's a top notch, like for him, vocal performance, yeah. kind of pushing himself to his limits and I, he's limited. He, he is, is. But, but like, but some of those, those are some of my favorite vocalists too mm-hmm. are limited. Um, like, like, uh, King Diamond has supposedly has a, he has a several octave range. Sure. Like, like Halford. Yep. But Hal- Halford's a better, um, yeah. all around, like, uh, uh, Diamond does a false vibrato, yeah, um, which I I love false vibrato, like in you know, or even false falsetto like BGs and shit. Yeah, I've always been attracted to that, but I don't like really great singers as much as I like limited singers that understand how to work within the smaller. I love like Buckley, mm-hmm. and he's incredible. Um, Bowie is a limited singer, but what he does in it is he, just yeah. fucking incredible. You know, yeah, like it's it's more interesting to have that limitedness and see like how much you can really bounce around and work within that than somebody that can sing anything. Yeah. I think Jonas was like that too, especially Absolutely. in like the, the, when he's flexing his clean vocals early on, Yeah, you know? Uh, and then when he, like, but what kinda, made it that so great is that when he broke, yeah, yeah. that's what made it like the, yep. it, it reinforced the, the kind of vibe of what they were going, this dire, well, miserable shit. Vulnerability, yeah. Vulnerability, yep. yeah. Yeah, the, the Bonnie Prince Billy mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, the, yep. the breaking. Yep, absolutely. And so, you know, to me, like, he really is coming to his own kind of here. Um, the hooks, Jesus. Yeah. You know? The songwriting is just top-notch. Yeah. I mean, when, the, when, that, when that hook slinks into, like, this weird, that percussive like sort of symbol shuffle at like around the 250 mark of serpents are rising. Yeah. I almost feel like my hands while I like, want to clap along. Like it's like a clapping sort of part, you know? Well, in, Yeah. In my uh, listening to this, as most people that listen to this podcast under, I talk about drumming for fun yeah. and I, I drummed along to this entire Did record you? a couple of times. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's more difficult than it appears to be. Um, but it's just the whole record is just positive too. It's sure. just it's oozing with that. Well, I don't think Uno gets enough attention. You know, Uno and uh, Gottfried is a great rhythm section. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Really, a lot of pockets. Just a lot of like shuffle grooves. It's it's just a very they make when the rhythm it, section's great. You don't know it's there. Yes. Yeah. It's like ACDC. Yes. Yes. You absolutely. Know, they're doing almost ACDC things where it's like they're like ninjas, like. You don't have to. They're not announcing themselves, but they just kind of are like. If you ever try to play, I've heard playing ACDC drums is fucking hard. Playing anything ACDC because they are so their time signatures are just fucking perfect. Yeah, and anything that deceptively simple, like somebody's like, "Oh yeah, I could totally like no fucking way in hell because you could exposed. do that." Yes, you're you're so exposed. If you fuck it up, everybody knows. That no stuff is so. Uh, yeah. There was a, I think it was some uh, charity show or something where uh, Bill Burt's a, um, Bill Burr, sorry, uh, Bill Burr's a uh, drummer as well for fun. Oh, gotcha. And he did an ACDC thing and was talking about like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I remember years ago, like uh, I don't know what who what show it was but carrie king was on a podcast and he was he really went on like a like 15 minute rant about acdc 
the just pocket. Kind of talking about Jesus, like the, man. how ACDC taught him how to like formulate songs in a way. I can see that now because yeah. Slayer has like an ACDC formula. They're more yeah. noisy and filling, you know, but like him and Jeff, like kind of bounce off, like, you know, the, the young brothers and stuff. You yeah. Know? But, uh, but that's a, one of those bands that I always just kind of took for granted. Like, Oh, they're just whatever. Cause and they all sound the same at, at first, at first, a lot of them, yeah. but it's like that, like something that, that sounds that simple. Anything that's that simple is always, it's deceptive how simple it sounds mm-hmm. and just, uh, Something clicked, yeah, like five, six years ago. And I was just like, I, I love the band now. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's a totally different. I never, I, I always liked, you know, Back in Black, whatever, as a kid. But like to to really appreciate how brilliant sure. the songwriting is and how integral uh, Malcolm was. Mm-hmm. The fuck, who, rhythm guitar, who gives a shit, you know, as a kid. But now, like, okay, James Pat, told Pat, Metallica together. Hatfield, yes. Scott Ian. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Rhythm because the leads are the flashy ones, right? It's the, it's the thing that's easy to understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the leads in this song are the secret weapon. Jesus. I said, you yeah. know, they're, they're just all over the place. Great. Um, and then we get the demons, which for me is my personal favorite on this record. I, I have an asterisk next to it. And it says one of the, one of their best. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't even think it is the, I think actually to our darkness is a better song, but I like demons better. Like I can acknowledge that objectively, Tour Darkness is like doing more that yeah. I think is like better for them in the future. But like, I just want to listen to Demons. It's so good. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was a single or not. It should have been, but I said it's, it's totally cliche at times, but damn, does it, this song make me feel happy? You yeah. Know? That gallop in the verses where it rides next to Pele. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, what's not the love about the midsection? You get these acoustic strums and this sort of medieval march. Um, the Swedes have such an innate passion for melodies and killer harmonies. The solar solo is in passion. The solo reminds me of what I used to get out of Mike Amat 20 something years ago. Like when I gave a shit about Mike Amat in like the late nineties, like well, he, early arch enemy. That's where he stuff. peaked. Yeah. Cause he was a great, now it's just kind of like his go-to bag of tricks sure. kind of. It's, it, it's relatively unimpassioned. He's still very talented. He's yes. just kind of going through the motions, I feel but, like. But yeah, but back at the, you know, the first, I'd say first three Arch Enemy records. Yeah. He was just like, holy shit. Like, nobody sounded like he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that he didn't keep pushing himself, and now it's just all kind of, yeah. eh, whatever, yeah. it's watered down. I just said, Hendrix a fucking pro. And the delicate way the band inches kind of out of the solo. Um, and then here it is, Mark. Okay. At five thirty in Demons, there's this eighties metal part that's totally from Doc and Unchain the Night. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's it's it's there. Yeah. It's like it's why I love like those like Dokken records or something. You know, like it's got that that quality you want to just sing along to. Even like early Ozzy had it, you know, like yeah. uh the Randy Rhodes era Ozzy sort of stuff had that. Well I think that uh, the Dokken stuff has so much like the Scorpions would later on be like known as these this anthemic band. Yeah, but but that's like Dawkins pulling that early Scorpions stuff in there. That's true. And nobody, I think Dawkins one of those anomalies of that whole for better like whatever the term the cock rock era mm-hmm. or a hair metal or whatever. Like they were the the ones that really coming from it from the right reasons. Yeah, bringing the European sensibilities in yeah. a little bit more. And yeah. like uh, you know, I I, I still think some of the best solos of anything in the eighties, mm-hmm. George Lynch. Yep. I think that whole, uh, the butting of heads between 
Lynch and Dawkins is what made some of that stuff so great. But it's funny though too. You mentioned in like Scorpions because I could hear like some kind of like uh, Love at First Sting or Blackout era Scorpions in like some of this kind of stuff too. Yeah, that just yeah. like anthemic. No one like you. You know, it's like yeah. everything hits, but nothing's original. But who cares? Like yeah. it's like it's all things you've heard before, but like put together. But it in makes such you feel a good. Great way. Yeah, that you're just happy. You yeah. Know? Um. You know, I sacrificed the demons. I mean, what a great, uh, so good. So, but let's, it could be metaphor too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, there's definitely. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of more to say on their on their on their face. They're fun, heavy metal lyrics, but also they could be seen as a little bit more too, which is I, always nice. From some of the things I've read from Pele, and especially with Sister, he he seems to take like kind of Satanism and occult stuff more seriously than I suspected. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what that means. I'm not saying they're it's, like a satanic a, band. Well, I think like, there there was, I, I saw some interviews as well about yeah. that. And uh, he kind of skirted the, the topic a little bit, but it was mentioned with Tane. Yes. That kind of sensibility. And I mean, and he would put the like dead fox on him at shows. Yeah. And put like a little bit of the ghostly sort of stuff on. Not full some, corpse paint, but like. Yeah, just around the eyes of, and stuff. And he was a fucking real skinny, tall dude, too. Yeah. So there's that kind of, you know, so corpse there's something kind of ritualistic. Like even, as much fun as we're having with this band, there's also like this, this sheen that's like a little bit darker and a little bit more serious than I think what I originally thought of. And maybe that's why Sister caught me off guard. Yeah. I thought they were this like sort of fun, like not like a Iron, second coming of Iron Maiden, and yet yeah. like beneath the surface, there's songs like Demons, and there's like shit that's like they're working out in a weird way, you know. I mean, yeah, even, the, yeah. even the title of the album and what it means, these like what is it the the three temptations of the soul or whatever, you know, the, yeah. the devil. So like they're playful in the way that like I said, like I was surprised when I found out like Danzig was like a Satanist. I was like. Like is he? I don't know. I don't really know if well, he is. That, or the was term or, is so is bandied about in a diff, like, especially you know, maybe being Americans, whatever you know. Yeah, like we, want, Satanism know. was a, a thing that was, you know, it was a a buzzword that that got Christian fundamentalists upset. Yeah. Um, I still think. I mean, I, I, I the philosophies could be interesting. I still think it's kind of juvenile to be a satanist sure um or to say that you're a satanist like that i don't i, I don't know yeah maybe, um, maybe maybe i'm not understanding enough but it just seems a little i think i have more childish. respect for somebody that's maybe into like kind of traditional kind of pagan type stuff that they're trying to reconvene with nature like i have a little bit more respect yeah. for that because it's like rooted in history a little bit more and it's not necessarily like i don't know obedience to like a concept i don't you know what i mean like it's more it's open an, it's an obedience interpretive, to you know? the nature of your being not, yeah not to like it's satanism ideology. is usually anti-christianity anti-establishment yeah, which is itself a dogma it's like and, and, and a certain like, point like yeah. at a certain age like when is that not just like okay youthful rebellion okay i'm gonna rebel against authority uh christianity is the authority like yeah i, I grew up as a as a catholic until i was like 13 mm-hmm. um and I don't, I don't believe in a, a man in the sky that, you know, tells you what to do and, you know, controls all of your actions. Yeah. But I do appreciate the ritual mm. um, of the whole thing, the common kind of message around the whole thing that could, it can help people. It's fine. Yeah. Like, but the, you know, the, the pedophilia, the, 
the hypocrisy, that stuff is awful. But well, the weaponization of it, yes, through like an institution, yes, you know, it's almost like a corporate model. And I mean, as it comes from, you know, if you believe in a historical Jesus, he seemed like a pretty good dude. Like he had some good ideas. He wasn't trying to, you know, harangue anybody into a, some shitty organization where he's going to take control of them. He's all about good things. Yeah. And then as it comes down, then it becomes like, how can we use this? To you know, to, to keep power. keep us in power and all this kind of yep. kind of horseshit. But uh, no, I think I think religion, no matter what, or ritual or spirituality, is important for sure. for people. But I think Satanism is kind of silly. It's, it's a little childish. <laughs> it's a little it's a little Halloween for me sometimes. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. But hey, teach. but man, I love fucking Venom and yeah, exactly. Wotan, I mean, yeah. all this stuff we're is not, fun. We're not against it. It's just yeah. from a Ser- as a serious thing, it seems kind of funny yeah. to me. So I don't know what he's drawing from is what I'm kind of getting at. But yeah. he alludes to like, you know, it might just be, you know, he's 19, 20 years old. He might just be like really just kind of interested in that stuff and exploring it. Way and- smarter than I was at 19. I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> way, way more adventurous and articulate than I was at, 20, or at yeah, 19. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's why he's writing songs. Although, you know, you're probably a better artist than him. So there you go. Don't we, we hey, pick our strengths. Don't knock yourself, Mark. No. You're you're a good you you were a good good illustrator back then. I was a good egg. Yeah. Also, this real quickly, uh, as SB was doing the production on this record, mm-hmm. um, he was also working on his uh, traditional heavy metal band, The Dagger. I don't know if you remember that band at all. Mm-mm. It was him, and it was also um, David Bloomquist from Dismember. Yeah, wasn't it as well? It was just a traditional heavy metal is band. It, I'm, is it good? I remember. Yeah, heard they it. put out a record in 2014, but they did a demo in uh, 2013. 2013. Hmm. But this was like kind of. I think he was. That, you think Gatsby was like drawing from being inspired by some of the bands he was kind of like. I think he was in that maybe? in that headspace. Yeah, like more because even at at the end of his tenure with this member, there's a lot of Iron Maiden starting to make oh, it in yeah. with solos and stuff. God, and, uh, what's the name of that record? The God that uh, was the God the, that never was the. That's a Metallica song, I think. From the, the thing that album. should not be. No, the, the God. Oh, the God that failed. No, I think it was the God that never. The was. God that failed. Is Metallica? Is Metallica? Yeah, the guy that never. I think. I think. I think you're right. It's the one that almost looks like a dude standing in over like an alley. The silhouette. It's like a bluish cover. I do remember that. Yeah, the guy that never was. Yeah. Um, that had a lot of. That's the stuff. last. Uh, that's the last one he did drums on. Yeah, okay, two thousand six. There's a lot of lot of Maiden stuff on that one. Yeah, that was mostly Bloomquist's. Okay. Solos and stuff. Yeah, but that even started in massive killing capacity. Oh yeah. So that's always been like a through line for, yeah. for that band. But I think. The, his love of metal and 70s hard rock i think he was the perfect guy to to be the producer for this well, record I think you get to a certain age too like i i look at where we've been like the last 10 years it's different than the 10 years before that because we're yeah. more interested in like the history and, and going back to older bands and yeah not as much like the new up-and-coming stuff yeah. until it shows that it's has longevity and yeah you know like i'm willing to like i'll listen to new stuff and, and check it out and, and things like that but uh yeah it's it's a harder sell than it was maybe 10 years ago yeah well little. you hear so much that when you hear something that is reminiscent of something else you're like okay but then i can go back and listen to Just deep listen purple to and blah 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 yeah um but i love that that stuff still exists because that's an entry point for new people to get into the music yep. and then you hear like oh i love this whatever band it might be you go back to listen to the stuff that really kind of started it all. So sure. yep. there's a place for it all. Absolutely. 
So let's get into it. We'll talk about uh, To Her Darkness when we come back, but we've got the the title track, The World, The Flesh, The Devil, Serpents Are Rising, and Demons, uh, and then we'll end the set with To Her Darkness. <laughs> 